Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. All right, and welcome back into THN on the O. As always, I am your favorite ball draft analyst, Tony Ferrari, and my equally bald compatriot is with me. How's it going, Brock? Good, Tony. How you doing? Not too bad. Uh, it's been a good week in the OHL. I actually went to a couple games live this weekend, so it was good to get out and see some action in person. Uh, any games stick out to you? Uh, you know what? Uh, that's a good question. Um, the one thing I really enjoyed this weekend was just, you know, OHL Sunday, the OHL day. Uh, it's always a highlight for me. I think it's a great idea. It's a great marketing campaign by the league. And, uh, and it's always great to see so many different media personalities come together to make that day happen too. And we had some really good games on that day as well. Yeah, and one of the games that that day was a game I was at, and it was Windsor beating up Owen Sound quite uh, convincingly. So that kind of brings us into our three stars, and our first star of the week is Windsor captain Matthew Maggio. 11 points in three games, five goals, six assists. Uh, Both games I went to, he was an absolute stud. So what did you kind of see from him this week? I mean, we talked about him at length uh, on this podcast so far. I feel like we have the opportunity to bring him up almost every week because he's playing so well, uh, even pre-deadline, post-deadline. It doesn't matter. At this point, I think the biggest question for me is when are the Islanders going to sign him? Um, I, I, honestly, he deserves it at this point, and I don't know what they're waiting for because he is hands down maybe playing the best hockey of anybody in the OHL right now. Yeah, he's really trying to make a case for him to win the OHL MOP this year. He's doing a really good job of just kind of willing Windsor in no matter what's going on. Right now, Shane Wright's out with a lower body injury, hasn't been in the game action. Brett Harrison hasn't really been making the impact they expected. But Matthew Maggio gone back onto his own line and really kind of doing things to, to create offense. He's getting in there physically. He's getting in there around the net. He We've talked about how his skating isn't necessarily his biggest strength. But this kid has been a guy that gets in there, scores. Uh, he was getting into it physically. He was getting into scrums and fights the other day. It's really fun to watch him play hockey. And like you said, it's only, I feel like it's only a matter of time until the Islanders sign him. And if they don't, I feel like someone's going to this summer. Oh, unquestionably. If he doesn't get an ELC, I don't know. Uh, I think I've lost faith. All right, now moving on to our second star, Tristan Bartucci. Three goals, four assists for seven points in three games. What did you like about his games this weekend? Yeah, I think he's really starting to gain confidence in his offensive abilities. I believe we've talked about him on this uh, podcast previously about him being sort of an under-the-radar draft-eligible guy because he's strong in his own end, has that length-mobility combination, which makes him sort of an intriguing defensive prospect, sort of like a John Marino type. And coming out of U16 he was sort of billed as a potential power play quarterback. And now I feel like we're starting to see that. I think that he's starting to take more chances offensively. He's starting to make more plays with the puck and he's trying to, to leave his you know, mark on the game from an offensive perspective uh, a little bit more consistently. And instead of just deferring or chipping out, he's trying to take chances. And I think that really bodes well for him moving up the draft board in the second half of the year, because there is that, you know, good, uh, projection for him as 
a defensive player at, at the NHL level. And now we're seeing some of the other areas of his game sort of round into form. Yeah, I think when we're talking about defensive players projecting to the next level, you always look to make sure that there's some offensive ability there, some ability to move the puck up the ice. Because at the end of the day, even if you aren't that power play quarterback at the next level, like you are at the OHL level or at the CHL level in general, you're going to have to move the puck at some point. You're going to have to make a pass out of the defensive zone. And he's starting to show the ability to do that. So it's really fun to see. It's really kind of interesting. The John Marino comparison is a really good one, I think, that you made there. So uh, a good week for Tristan Bertucci. And I think anytime you have seven points in three games, uh, regardless of position, you're having a good week. Uh, but moving on to our next guy, nine points on the week for him, two goals, seven assists. Sasha Pashajov, a guy that we've talked about a number of times on the podcast. Yeah, and, and the Sting are just rolling right now. They're playing some really, really good hockey. They look like possibly the team to be in the West, and I know that maybe is a little bit offensive to your Spitfires, Tony, because they're playing really, really well too. Um, but Ben Goudreau is starting to play better, starting to turn a corner, play a little bit more consistently, and, and that was sort of the last piece of the puzzle for them, I felt like. Christian Cairo has fit in seamlessly there. Ethan Del Mastro has. Uh, they're starting to get good chemistry from their lines. Uh, their imports are, are playing a little bit more consistently now. And obviously, Pashajov uh, has been a great acquisition for them from, from Guelph. And that's sort of been a deal I think has worked out really well for both teams, right? Nemesnikov uh, has played very well for Guelph. And as a young player, is going to be part of that team moving forward. And now Pashajov is giving this thing exactly what they needed, a really good goal-scoring winger. Um, and obviously, you know, the goal-scoring uh, department wasn't really what – made this or allowed him to make this list this week. It was more of his playmaking ability, but the chemistry that he's developed with Ty Void is something special. Yeah, I think it was really interesting to kind of see his ability to diversify his game because I think the big thing with him is, like we mentioned with Maggio, the, the skating ability is the, the thing that kind of holds him back at the end of the day. But the the dual threat creativity, the ability to kind of make passes up ice, make, make good plays in the offensive zone and play off of a guy like Ty Void who – at the end of the day, as much as we love Ty Boyd, as much as we talk about how skilled he is, how much of a great playmaker he is, and we'll talk about him a little later in the episode as well, there it's not the easiest thing in the world to play off a player like that. And Sasha Pashov has fit right in there. I think he's done a really good job. And, and I, I think he's thriving, finally. The seeing, especially the last couple of weeks, we've seen him kind of become the player we all thought he could be now in the OHL. And, and like you said, the, they're doing really good in Sarnia right now, playing playing really, really well. And as you mentioned, Ben Goudreau, I'm, I've always mentioned I'm a big fan. If they can get him going, that Western Conference playoff is going to be really, really fun to watch. Yeah, and uh, speaking of goaltenders, I feel like we should mention one HM this week, and that would be Nate Krawchuk. It's just kind of a cool story that I think uh, deserves a bit of a spotlight on him. He was the old OHL uh, goaltender of the week and had a really good week for, for Sudbury, and it's kind of slowly emerging as the starting netminer there. They kind of Tried to go with a couple of ways this year. Joe Ranger didn't work out. And then they brought in the guy from McHugh and Kevin Brassard. And uh, while he's still on the roster, I don't think he's played quite a, the level they kind of expected he would. And Prochuk is one of those very rare uh, U18 draft guys and big uh, athletic draft eligible this year. I don't know if he gets drafted, but obviously he's playing well. And it's great to see maybe Sudbury has, has found their goaltender of the future finally. Yeah, it's nice to see because I, I feel like goaltending is always such the, the, the hardest puzzle piece to fit in the OHL. You you could have this really great team and 
you don't always need to find that goalie that's going to steal you every game or be the stud, but you need to find the goalie that's going to complete the roster. And I think maybe that's the guy that they found. Yeah, absolutely. All right, now let's move on to our Frankenstein series that we did last week. This week we're focusing on wingers after doing defensemen last week. Let's kind of get into your player because it's a really interesting mix and a couple of names that I wasn't really expecting. Yeah, okay. So here's my uh, Frankenstein winger. So I've got the skating ability of Nick DeGrazia. I kind of thought about J.R. Avon here. Um, it was sort of a toss-up between those two. But I went with DeGrazia. I think that he's probably the best all-around skating forward, especially winger in the OHL. I, I don't know if that carries him over to a pro career. He is an OA this year. But if other parts of his game were even close to as good as his skating ability, you know, we'd be talking about a slam dunk NHL prospect. He he really is an electric mover on the ice. Um, so he's he's the guy that I chose first. Next, I've got the shot of Brennan Offen. Probably could have gone a lot of different ways here for the shot. Um, Matt Bay Petrov, James Hardy, too, that sort of stick out in my mind. Um, but I think Offen probably builds in deception to his shooting ability um, a little bit more than those two. I think he's a little bit more diversified as a goal scorer. He's the type of guy that can score a multitude of different ways. So that's why I went with Offman. Then I've got the off-puck awareness of Josh Bloom. I kind of thought about going with Jack Beck here too. I think him and Bloom are probably two of the smarter players in the OHL. Um, but I, I really like the way that Bloom just reads the offensive situations in, in the offensive zone. And uh, he's got a great stick in the defensive zone too, which helps him to, to be a good threat on the penalty kill. Um, just a really solid three-zone player, really good anticipation as a goal scorer anywhere near the slaughter in that home plate area. Just kind of a really heady, intelligent guy. Then I got the puck skill and creativity of Ty Voigt. We've talked at length about Voigt on this show, especially when we featured him as part of the Maple Leafs prospects. Uh, there's, there's really no one uh, on the wing, in my opinion, in the OHL who can create uh, the way that he does. He's just so elusive and so creative and it benefits his line mates. Uh, and that's the kind of guy that you're going to want as part of your OHL Frankenstein, in my opinion. And then last, I went with the puck protection and ability to play through traffic of Matt Maggio. I think that's something that always sort of stands out about him for me. And like you mentioned, he's not the quickest guy north south, but I feel like his edge work and his overall agility is among the best uh, of any winger in the OHL. And when you combine that with his hands and his ability to shield the puck and then his strength on the puck, he's just such a difficult cover. He's just so hard to slow down. Defenders think that they've got him boxed in and he finds a way out. And it's not necessarily because he's the most creative player. Um, he's not Ty Voigt. But there's just, there's just something about the way that he builds that, uh, again, uh, that deception into – playing in the offensive end. He's so difficult to pin down. And that's kind of a guy that I would want as part of my Frankenstein. I think you had a really nice mix of players there. I love the fact that you included Josh Bloom in there. The off-block awareness, like you mentioned, is really, really good. So I really like your mix of player there. Uh, this is a guy, if you combine all these guys, this is a player that would be among the best players in the OHL. And anytime we're doing a Frankenstein guy, I think that's what we're aiming for. So to kind of jump into mine, uh, I did a few different categories for myself. I went with overall scoring talent, and that kind of, in my mind, encapsulated the shot and the ability kind of in tight. And I, I, I leaned towards Colby Barlow here for a little bit, but then I went with Matthew Maggio for many of the same reasons you just talked about. 
this is a guy that whether he's shooting off the rush, he's a guy that's crashing the net and making havoc around there. He's able to score from the crease or from the circles. There's a lot of ways that this guy can score. And I think that's the big reason why I went with him in terms of scoring talent. Playmaking and vision, Matt, or Ty Voigt, a guy you talked about as well. We talked about how creative he is, how much skill he has, the, the ability to kind of make something out of nothing. And, and we've talked about Ty Voigt so many times on this podcast. I mentioned at one point this year, the only the closest person to his uh, assist total were his own primary assists. So if you took out just a second, if you took out his secondary assists, he'd still rank second in the OHL. There's so many things that this kid does so well as a, as a playmaker. And, and then I started to differentiate here. I, I went with overall mobility. And in my mind, that was just the ability in the quick, tight space, the ability in open space, and just a little bit of everything in terms of skating ability. And I went with Philip Mashar, a guy that we've not seen in the OHL for too, too long, but he does so many things in the OHL that I think would get rewarded if he was playing on a little bit more of a consistent team in Kitchener. I think the big thing with him is they haven't been able to mesh there. And I think that's been a whole team wide issue, but I think Philip Michard has done a really good job and his skating ability is, is really up there with like guys, like you said, Jerry Avon, Nick Grazia in the OHL. So I think that's why I went with him. Crafting craftiness and creativity is a guy that I went with Sasha Pasha job just because the ability to kind of do a little bit of everything in the offensive zone. I think that mindset of just having that offensive threat is really intriguing because yeah, he's not the most fleet of foot. He's not going to be able to kind of get around the ice, but that's why we have Philip Mashar. You had the craftiness of the small ice game, the, the ability to kind of pass and shoot uh, of a guy like Sash pass job. That's what I really like in there. And then when we go on the four check, I, I always look for a, a winger that four checks well, because so often they're not there. They are the first man in on the four check, a guy that's the F1. And I went with Colby Barlow. And this is a guy that you and I were joking about before the podcast that I always seem to be the guy that's really low on Colby Barlow. And then I somehow find a way to praise him anyways. And he really is one of the best four checkers in the OHL. He works so hard on that and does really good job of getting north and south, getting below that goal line in retreating pucks for himself and his teammates. So I incorporated him into that, that um, the Frankenstein player for myself as well. What do you, what do you kind of think about that combination? I think it makes a lot of sense. Uh, I think both of our players would be uh, great on the uh, flanks of the center that we create next week. Um, the interesting thing is neither of us picked physicality or, you know, the strength on the puck or anything like that uh, as part of our Frankenstein. And it was definitely something that I thought about including as part of my five. I kind of went down looking at maybe using Offman in that situation but I would rather look at you know his scoring ability. Then I thought about a guy like maybe Chase Stillman or uh, Tyler Savard um, in terms of their physical abilities. Um, but I just felt a little bit more confident with those five characteristics, which is odd for me because everybody knows I, I love a good power forward. Um, but I just don't know if there's anybody that I felt that their physicality was just a, a really elite part of their game that I wanted as part of my Frankenstein. What do you think on that, Tony? Yeah, I think you're right there. I think I, I originally had physicality kind of lumped in with forechecking and I had physicality lumped in with some other things originally. And there just wasn't a player that stuck out to me. I jokingly had Tyler Boucher in there for a little bit. I think he's a guy that so many people love in the OHL uh, for what he brings. But at the end of the day, I just found things that I, I valued more than what he was able to kind of bring. Like you mentioned, guys like Stillman and whatnot. There, there are guys in the OHL that serve that purpose. But I think the one thing you said when we were talking about this a little bit beforehand is uh, with a lot of the good comes with the bad. And when you're kind of creating this Frankenstein winger, 
I, I don't think we're necessarily looking to create a third liner. I think we're both kind of looking to get that first line guy that can kind of make a difference offensively. And sometimes the physicality falls to the wayside when you're looking at that. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, when we put this poll out on Twitter again, it'll be interesting to see who everybody prefers. Uh, I don't know if you saw the results of the poll last week, Tony, but it was an even split. It was 50-50. Uh, so we'll see who wins this time around. Yeah, I, I kept checking back on the poll, and at one point I pulled like two votes ahead, and I'm like, there it is, baby. This is where I start to run away. And then I checked again, and you were a vote ahead. So ending up at 50-50 kind of seems about where I was expecting it to. And, I mean, we should add that it wasn't just Tony and I voting. I believe there was about 30 votes. So, yes, there mm -hmm. were some of you who voted. Um, so keep an eye out for that, and uh, make sure you vote this time. And also we want to hear your Frankenstein winger. We, ha we had a few responses, but we'd love to hear some more. All right, now let's move on to our 2023 draft prospect of the week. This is a guy that I think you were a bigger fan of than I am, and that's Oliver Bonk, London Knights defender. 46 games played, 30 points, 10 goals, 20 assists. He's a plus 16 on the year on a really good London team. He's only got 26 penalty minutes. Let's go with what you love about this guy first. Yeah, it's it's the defensive ability first and foremost. I think he's one of the most intelligent defensive players in, in the OHL. I just... Thinking back to all of my viewings of Bonk this year, even in, earlier in the year when I was kind of not the most sold on him, I can't think of him making a poor defensive read or a, a poor defensive play. He just is always locked in. His stick is so good. His awareness is so good. He's not the most physical player. I mean, he does have a bit of jam to his game. And I think that as he gets older and, and adds strength, I think that'll be a bigger part of his game. But it just in terms of his his reads and, and you know his, his coverage – He's just always locked on, and, and that's such a that's such an asset, not only at this level, but moving forward. And when you add in some of the things that he does well with the puck on his stick, and some of the you know potential that he has as an offensive player as well, I think you've got a very interesting defender. And uh, originally, uh, I was kind of concerned that he was in that like Matt Finn, Stuart Percy, uh, Roland McEwen kind of template um, that we've kind of seen come through the OHL as really good OHL defenders, but didn't really have that standout quality that made them NHL players. And Bong, you know, he isn't the most athletically gifted player either. I think that there's room for improvement in his overall skating ability. I don't think he's a poor skater by any means. Um, but when we're looking at, say, guys like Boeke who are available this year, they're definitely a step above him in the mobility department. So as he improves that and as he sort of gains confidence in his offensive abilities i do think there's a very interesting defender and the more i see him the, the more i see a place in the nhl for him i think what you said there to end it off is this is where I'll, I'll start off with and where i'll agree with you is i look at oliver bong's game and every time i watch him i go there there's ohl or there's nhl defenders today that play the game he plays and one that i'll, I'll point out right away that i kind of liken him to is Justin Hall, a guy that has some size, doesn't always play the most physical, can be on the penalty kill. Every once in a while, he'll make a really good play defensively, and that gives him the confidence to go and try to make a good play offensively. And that's kind of what I see out of Oliver Bonk's game. I don't know if his offensive game is ever going to quite get to the level where you see the flashes of, but he's shown to be capable. I think that's the one thing I talked about earlier is, you want to see that they're able to do it. Not that they're necessarily going to do it all the time. They're not going to be a guy that necessarily quarterbacks your power play, but can you make that breakout pass? Can you make that, that quick decision uh, when you're facing a forecheck and kind of dealing with the pressure there? 
And I think Oliver Bonk does display those things. Like you said, the defensive kind of mindset is there. I do worry about his, his mobility a little bit. Uh, even when you look at a guy like Justin Hall, who I compared him to, every once in a while you're like, ah, he got his feet got tied up. And I think it's not necessarily the the straight line speed or the the ability to kind of get to his spots. It's the fluidity of it. I think that's going to be the area where I think Oliver Bonk needs to work on it and get to that level where he is a, a really good top four NHL defender. Where I think my ish, biggest issues with him come up is where some people kind of have him slotted in, in, towards, in towards the middle of the first round, towards the end of the first round. I look at guys like Bo Aiki and, and others like that that you've mentioned where I go, maybe those are guys I prefer there over a guy like this. And, and that's probably just my stylistic bias, and to, it, to be completely honest. I do think Bonk's going to be an NHL defender. I think he has all the defensive tools that you want. Where he kind of slots in on an NHL lineup is, is my biggest question. Does he have the upside to get to be that second guy on a top pair or, or be the guy that kind of drives that second pair? I don't know. But if he's your number four defenseman and kind of playing a role where He's your safeguard that's able to make a good first pass and play that smart defensive game. And then he plays a key role in the penalty kill. I think that's where Bonk can find his niche at the next level. So I do think there's an NHL player here. My biggest question is where's the upside? Yeah, and ultimately I think that might be a question you could ask about most of the defenders available this year. And I think that therein lies the issue, right? Um, Really, I mean, you could argue maybe – Dragasevich or, or Simashev, but even they have some question marks, right? Is there really a defender who has top pairing upside available this year? I, I would lump a guy like Sandy Pelica uh, in with an Oliver Bonk. I think he's going to be a, a good pro, but I don't see him having high-end upside. Dragasevich has some warts in the defensive end that could prevent him <laughs> from being a, a top pairing guy, Simashev, who knows how the offensive abilities carry over. And I know that this is an OHL centric podcast, but when we look at the grand scheme of things at the draft this year, the reason a guy like Bonk has become so attractive is he's already a really good defensive player, maybe one of the better ones available this year in his own end. And then you add on the good shot, the good scoring instincts, his you know, ability to start the breakout and quick thinking in the defensive end. And you wonder, is this the type of guy that's just going to be very quietly efficient at the NHL level? Is, you know, is he going to be someone who eats up 22 minutes a night, not an NHL all-star, but a really long-time player, like a Calvin DeHaan, right? Somebody who anchors a second unit for a really good team, goes about his business quietly, gets a lot of secondary assists based on, how they move the puck out of their own end and starting the breakout and how they defend their own end. Um, and the, I, I am starting to come around on bonk because of that. And I don't know if that's, it's, it's kind of like a dangerous thing, right? Are you just ranking Oliver bonk high because the lack of defenseman exists or does he truly deserve to be in that spot based on pure merit? Yeah, I think you make a really good point there. And this draft is kind of lacking defensemen, I think the big thing is. I think we came into the year and we were like, Cam Allen has a potential. He he could be a guy that that goes in the top 10. And now we're questioning which guy is going to go in the top 10. Because there's going to be a guy. I think uh, since 2003, there's only been one draft where where a defenseman didn't go in the top five. So you have to think someone's going to go early. Someone's going to have a late rise. Someone's going to have a good playoff. Maybe that's Oliver Bonk. It, it wouldn't blow me away, 
even though that's not a spot I would take him. Maybe it is a Dimitri Simashev or a Sandine Pelika. Pelika, like you mentioned, this year's draft as a whole, whether you go out west where the draft is really strong, you go in the queue where the draft isn't as strong, you go over to Europe, down to the States, there's not a defenseman that really sticks out as that surefire number one guy. So it's going to be interesting to see where these guys kind of go. Before we move off of Bonk Brock, where do you kind of have him on your board and where do you kind of see him going at the NHL draft? I would probably just have him in that like borderline first, early second range, somewhere in that like 28 to 40 range. And that's sort of where we had him with our McKean's rankings that came out at midseason. Um, I know um, some of our team uh, really liked him and some are, are kind of a little bit more skeptical, like like you, Tony. Um, what about you? Where, where would you slot him in currently? On my board, he was just outside the top 50. I think I had, he was in that 50 to 60 range. He was a guy that I considered for the list, but didn't quite make it. He was on the honorable mentions, if I'm not mistaken. But where I see him going is a completely different story. I see him going in that 20 to 30 range in the NHL draft just because there is that safety of getting a guy like this where you're like, yeah, I'm probably going to get an NHL defender. And at the end of the day, NHL GMs go up there and that name they call in the first round better make it at least to the NHL because if not, it could be their job of the line. Yeah, and there's the pedigree too, you know, with his father being Radic, a former NHL player. You have that working in his favor. You also have the development model of the London Knights. Uh, they've done a really good job developing defenders over the last two decades. And you have to sort of involve that in your thinking and assessment of Bonk as well, right? Because very few times do the London Knights not develop a defender properly, right? And um, that has to be included in your assessment. Yeah, I think we've talked about that a few times where the London Knights have a draft eligible that we're all kind of like, I thought there'd be more here. In their draft year, we don't quite see it. D plus one year, they completely pop off. So we could very well be looking at a situation like that as well. Now let's move on to our NHL team of the week, though. This week, we've got the Vancouver Canucks, who don't have the greatest prospect pool as a whole. And their OHL prospect is uh, a little bit lacking as well. Let's start off with Connor Lockhart, probably their best prospect going forward in, in the OHL at least. He's a guy that's got 20 goals in the season, 20, 35 assists for 55 points in 46 games, 35 penalty minutes. He's a plus 11 for the Peter Peets. Not a guy that's necessarily a star, but a really good, useful OHL player. Yeah, I'd be shocked if the Canucks don't sign Lockhart. Um, he has to be signed by June this year. I think when he was drafted, it probably was a toss-up, but I think he has developed pretty well. And, and like you mentioned, the Canucks system is not the strongest, and they could use a player like Lockhart in their system. And I, I think that he's the kind of guy that just doesn't have a ton of weaknesses, right? I, I don't know what the upside is going to be at the NHL level. I, I like the player, and I think that is really important. What he ends up developing into is a bit of a mystery. Um, and I think it depends on you know, when he gets to that pro level, you know, how does he want to stylistically play? How does he want to, how does he want to, to try to break into the NHL? We've talked about this, I believe it was last week when we talked about guys having to shift uh, to be NHL players. And we, the example we mentioned was Daniel Cleary, who was a junior star and a junior scoring star. And it took him a long time to make the NHL because he had to change the way that he played. Connor Lockhart has good skating ability. He's a, he's a good goal scorer. He's got a good nose for the net. I think that he's a pretty strong to a player. He's he's versatile. He can play multiple positions. He's somebody that's had a good year for Peterborough. And if you're the Vancouver Canucks, you sign him, you bring him into the fold, and you kind of throw him 
in somewhere and see what sticks and and hopefully he finds a niche at the pro level yeah this is the guy that i think that we look at and like you mentioned you sign him you drop him in the ahl and see see if he sinks or swims and i think the, the canucks need guys that are going to fill out the roster i think as they go into this retool rebuild whatever they want to call it as they go into this transition period they're going to need guys that kind of fill in on that bottom end of the roster especially because they do still have some questionable contracts on the books and maybe Connor Lockhart's a guy like that. I think maybe he's a guy that breaks in at 23, 24, 25 and fills in on the bottom six. And like you mentioned, does a little bit of everything. I don't think there's a major flaw in his game, but I also don't think there's a major weakness or or major strength. So I think those guys, like you mentioned, it's always, what are you going to be at the next level? What are you going to kind of specialize in or, or are you going to be able to kind of continue playing this jack of all trades kind of game as you go up to the pros i think Connor lockhart's got a chance to do that at the hl level but it's certainly going to be a question mark of of how high he can kind of get up in a lineup because i do think he's destined for kind of an energy bottom six kind of role yeah and i think the big thing for him too is the physical component the forechecking component that has been the biggest area of growth for him as an ohl player and that was definitely necessary for him to, to be a, a pro, in my opinion, because he kind of came into the league as more of like a dynamic goal scoring, uh, attacking north south all in kind of player, right? And and now the evolution of, of Lockhart has been to be a more versatile player, and I think that bodes well for his pro potential. When you, especially when you add in the fact that he is a pretty good skater, and and that's going to play well at the next level too. All right, now let's move on to their next prospect in the OHL, their final guy. They only got they've only got the two. And it's defenseman Kirill Kurdy Kurd hi. Kudratsev. Kudratsev, that's it. Of the Sioux Greyhounds, six goals, 33 assists, 39 games and uh or 39 points in 47 games, sorry. 10 penalty minutes, minus 13 on the Sioux Greyhounds this year, who are kind of in their own little transition period that we talked about. What have you liked about his game? What don't you like about his game? And do you kind of see an NHL future here? I've really liked his game this year. I think he's been one of the most improved players in the OHL. And I think it's kind of been hidden by the fact that the Greyhounds just are retooling. They're rebuilding. They're in that sort of mode right now. The expectations were not high for them this year. They've been kind of stuck in a, in a rut lately, which I think is to be expected post-deadline playing in that Western Conference. And He's somebody that I think has really improved. I think going into the draft last year, I had a lot of question marks about how he saw the ice. The defense's own turnovers were were just too consistent for my liking. He had trouble starting the breakout. He always seemed to want to use his feet, but then he would kind of skate himself into trouble. And then there'd be a sort of like a panic pass and a turnover. And it there was too many instances that were just kind of ugly. And it made me question sort of, that IQ, that processing ability. And I think that's been the biggest area of growth in his game this year is when I've watched the Greyhounds play, uh, I haven't really seen him turn the puck over all that much. He's been much better with his puck management, much better with his decision-making. Yes, he's still using his feet, but you know he's making those passes earlier and not sort of skating himself into trouble. He's got that head up. You know, he's, His scanning habits have, have improved a lot. And defensively, he's somebody that I think plays a little bit bigger than his size. He does have some jam to his game and I think as the Greyhounds improve, I think he's somebody that's going to end up being one of the better OHL defenders. And um, I, I am. I, if I'm a Canucks fan, I'm pretty excited about his future. I, I don't think that he's a potential first pairing guy or anything, but I think if he continues to develop the way that he is, 
there's definitely an NHL defender there. Well, Brock, I think you're a little bit more optimistic on his game than I am. I think there are still some of the decision-making questions that you mentioned. I think the big thing with him is I think with the improvement that he's made, and I have no doubt in my mind that he has made some of those steps and become a bit more of a safe player, but he's taken some of that home run ability out. And I think that's the thing that I don't love about the way he's kind of developed. And it's understandable. I think that's the thing that so many guys need to do to get to the next level is refine their game and rein it in because you need, you can't be a wild running horse at, at every level. At, and not every player is able to play like that. And with the kind of the reining in of his game, some of that home run hitter ability came out of his game. And at the end of the day, my biggest question is going to be, is he still going to be effective as he moves up the ranks, as he gets to the AHL and starts to develop as a pro? Because that was kind of the thing I was attracted to. The flaws were obviously there. I think everyone that watched him last year saw him make a pass to the center of the offensive zone <laughs> onto a, an opposing player's stick for a great chance. But there's also those times where he'd make that beautiful bang pass off the boards to spring a breakaway and little things like that. And he's a guy that I think has so much ability, but that that reining it in has taken away some of that flair almost. And becoming a more reserved player is often what a lot of these guys need to do, but that also limits what you can do at the next level too. So it's it's going to be a question for me as to what is he going to be at the next level? Because like you said, he does play a little bit bigger than he is, but is that big enough? He does kind of make better decisions now. He still uses his feet. He's a good skater with the puck. But is that going to be enough now that he's taken the home run out and he's trying to hit doubles all the time? It's it's a big question mark for me, but there is a really intriguing player if you can get your development staff on, on development staff's hands on him. And I think that's the big thing that, that I look for in a guy like this. Yeah, and just to add to that, we just talked about Bonk and, and how good London has been at developing defenders, but the Sioux Greyhounds have been really good yeah. in the last decade at developing defenders as well. And I think it's Brendan Taylor who runs the defense there. And he's been really good um, with defenders over the last decade. Uh, you, you know, there's quite a few that you can name. Connor Timmins, um, Colin Miller, um, Darnell Nurse, right? Like you, there's quite a few players who've come through that program and gone on to NHL careers. So, you know, maybe it's a case of taking that one step back in, in one area to take multiple steps forward in other areas. And then next year, now that he's built in some confidence and is making better decisions, you know, does he kind of go back to taking more chances offensively? And it'll be interesting to see. Uh, I, I'm not disagreeing completely with you, Tony. All right. Now let's move on to the mailbag segment to finish off today's episode. We got a few questions from, from the crowd, from the listeners. And the first one I wanted to start off with was from Generals Live, a very popular OHL account that we, we've interacted with a number of times, I'm sure. Uh, the, his question is, does Jacob Oster's incredible start to his Oshawa career make him a candidate for the 2023 NHL draft? I will let you answer that first, bro. Uh, well, well, look, here's the thing. Uh, he's playing incredibly well in Oshawa so far, but the sample size is way too small to make any sort of definitive assessments uh, for the draft. Last year, I thought there was a chance that he might go. He has that combination of size and athleticism that that NHL teams like. The consistency was the issue, right? And he wasn't great in Guelph, and now he's playing really well so far in Oshawa. But we're talking about a very, very small sample size here. If he can continue to play at this level all the way to the end of the year, and maybe even in the first round with the Oshawa Generals looking like they might have a chance uh, of cracking the OHL playoffs this year, 
um, you know, if they can get in because of his play, because they're playing quite well lately. Um, you know, that I think that'll go a long way. But right now, I think it's just too early to make any sort of definitive statement about that. Yeah, my answer was going to be short and sweet, and it was going to be ask me again when he steals a first-round victory in the playoffs. Uh, the sample size is really small. I, when, I, when I saw this question, I was like, wait, how many? I thought he only played a few games. And I, I had to go check how many games he played. Yeah, he really hasn't played more than a handful. It's been really good, don't get me wrong. And the two games I have seen of him in net, he looks really good. Like you said, last year there is that size and athleticism combination, but it, it's still a very small sample size. And when you look at us, we talk about this with the World Juniors, with the World Under 18s, with any tournament, you can't take a seven game sample and, and juxtapose an entire um, opinion on a player. And I think that's very similar to what we're going through right now, but with his club team. So let's see him get to the end of the year. Let's see if he can get Oshawa into the playoffs. Let's see if he can steal around. If he steals around, then I think there's a, a little bit more of a consideration. Agree. All right. Now our final question for the day is since the OHL trade deadline, which draft eligible prospect have you been most improved? has been most improved. I'm going to give you two. I'm going to go with Nick Lardis, who I think is the obvious answer. He's been playing absolutely lights out for the Hamilton Bulldogs. <laughs> Nothing more to say. Like It's been a great trade for him moving from Peterborough, now sort of being the top dog with Hamilton, getting all the ice time he can handle. And we're seeing sort of what he's fully capable of as an offensive player. And it's great. Um, I, think, I think if he can continue to play the way that he has, um, he's unquestionably going to be a top three-round pick. The sort of underrated answer I'm going to give you is Alex Asadorian of Niagara. He's got 16 points in 13 games since that trade. Um, and has been really one of the few bright spots for the Ice Dogs in the last, you know, couple of months. And I was really high on Asadorian coming into the year. I really liked his energy as a U17 player last year for the Wolves. And I think he's a really good skater, a really good four checker, brings a, a really good motor. And now I think in Niagara, we're starting to see him flourish offensively. And, it, you know, is that enough for him to get drafted? Well, he, he is pretty small. Um, I don't know, especially I don't know how many scouts are going to watch the Niagara Ice Dogs um, in the last few months of the season. So it could be tough for him. But at the very least, um, this is somebody who's playing lights out right now and is definitely going to earn himself um, a free agent invite to training camps or, or rookie rosters, uh, which is great for him. Yeah, I think my guy has got to be Nick Lardis. You mentioned him. Absolutely fantastic. I watched him live this weekend because I wanted to see he coming in town Windsor here. I mean, I need to see if he pops as much as he has on video in person. And he really did. He was a guy that was all over the puck. He didn't have a goal in the game, but he was creating chances. He was using his physicality to get to the front of the net. Had a few shots off the post. He's a really, really fun player to watch. And anytime you can put up 11 goals and 21 points in just 12 games with your new team, I think it goes to show that maybe he should have been playing a little bit more with Peterborough before he got traded. Um, but it's a really fun thing. But on the flip side, I did want to mention a guy from Windsor that has kind of had the opposite effect, Ethan Medema. Not really been all that effective with Kingston. And I want to get your thoughts on him because this was a guy that I thought maybe could take that a bigger step in Kingston with kind of the little bit more room and a little bit kind of more of a role and less pressure on the, on a competitive team that he was on in Windsor. So what has kind of been your impression as he's only got five points in 12 games? Yeah. So the big thing is, he, you know, he's got to do a little bit more of the heavy lifting himself in Kingston, right. Um, with Windsor playing with older 
uh, more experienced players, he could kind of be more of a passenger. And that's not to say that he was a complete passenger in Windsor. You know, he was creating some of his own scoring chances as well. But in Kingston, you know, he's having to do more of it himself. And I think that's sort of highlighting some of those weaknesses in his skating. It's highlighting some of those um, weaknesses in his strength on the puck, off the puck. Um, and those are contributing to some very inconsistent performances. And yeah, I mean, the size skill combination is going to be very alluring to NHL teams at the draft this year. But if the production in Kingston continues at its current rate, uh, I don't see him being a top 100 pick. Yeah, that's the big thing with him is the size skill combination is great. We've seen some flashes of the brilliance, but it just hasn't been there for him this year. And it's unfortunate because I was really hoping to see him kind of flourish in Kingston. Any final thoughts on the OHL this week, Brock, before we get out of here? No, I think we covered a lot. I mean, it was interesting. We, You and I both looked at our typical template, and we couldn't really come up with a with a newsworthy uh, item to talk about this week. So maybe something juicy will come up next week. Yeah, I'm sure something will drop right after we uh, finish recording here. That's uh, <laughs> how it always works in the podcast world. <laughs> All right. With that said, we will let you go. We appreciate you listening as always. This has been THL on the O. I am Tony and that's Brock. We'll see you next week.